going to look at John chapter 12. And this is another account to the triumphal entry. I was actually looking because I got to thinking this week that uh, we just talked about the, the uh, Palm Sunday and uh, I felt like it was just prior to Resurrection Sunday this year and then I got back to looking and it was actually last year that we, we talked about this and we looked at Mark's account and we looked at Matthew's account of this triumphal entry and so uh, keeping in line with our study where we're at in the Gospel of John we're looking at John chapter 12 and we're looking at this triumphal entry uh, uh, from a very specific standpoint remember the division of these four Gospels there's a reason why there are four we've looked at that prior and we've talked about what each gospel presents Jesus as and if you'll remember the gospel of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews the rightful king uh, to the throne of David that's what Matthew presents Jesus as that's why you have uh, in Matthew's account uh, you have the genealogy that goes through David and it focuses specifically on David and that side of the genealogy. And then in the book of Mark, you have Jesus Christ presented as a servant. Isn't it interesting that in only two of the four Gospels, you have an account of the nativity of Christ. Everyone goes to Luke chapter 2 for the Christmas account, the nativity of Christ, because Matthew is very specific and Jewish in nature, and Mark and John doesn't have one. There's no account of the birth of Christ in Mark or John. Why is that? Because John presents Jesus Christ as a servant. Amen. Presents Jesus as a servant. And what's interesting about a servant is nobody cares where a servant comes from. All we want to know about a servant is how they serve. And so Jesus presents himself through the writing of Mark's gospel as a servant. And then the book of Luke, very obvious, you have Dr. Luke and you have the humanity of Christ. You have the geology, or geology, the genealogy of Jesus Christ traced all the way back to Adam. Why? Because Luke presents Jesus as man. He was all God and he was all man. So you have the king of the Jews. You have the rightful king to the throne of David. You've got Mark that presents Jesus as a servant. You've got Luke that presents Jesus Christ in his humanity. And then you have the gospel of John, which again, remember, it's the other gospel that does not present a nativity of Jesus. Why is that? Because John presents Jesus Christ as Lord. He is God. That's why Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 are very similar. Verse 1 of John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And how does Genesis 1 start? In the beginning, God. Amen. John chapter 1 presents to us that Jesus Christ is God. He has no beginning. He always has been. He is and He always will be. Amen? And so from that perspective and that understanding and that introduction that we went over probably five years ago, no, not five years, but about three and a half years ago now, just to kind of overview for us, that brings us here to chapter 12. We've just seen where Mary has anointed the feet of Jesus. We have seen where Judas was indignant to this anointing. But remember, the other gospel accounts prove that Judas wasn't alone in that indignation. 
question. The other disciples questioned as well. I believe because of the leading of Judas, I believe they questioned in their heart based on the other accounts. And then we have Lazarus that we looked at last week who's being sought after for his death because his very life was proof of who Jesus Christ was and who he is. Now we're in John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Verse 12 down to verse 19. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done, that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him... When he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him up from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this opportunity to serve you. We thank you that we can have that blessed assurance. Lord, we are so grateful that we do not have to sit here and wonder if we're saved. Lord, we are so encouraged by the fact that truth is knowable and that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where our eternal destination is. What an encouraging thought this morning. Lord, as some here are hurting and some are struggling and some are facing financial situations, some are facing health concerns, Lord, I pray that you would just wrap your loving arms around them today. Reassure them that you are in control and that you will always do what is best. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn this morning as we read of this account of your son as he enters into Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Show us what we need to learn. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be edified. But help us to be convicted to live for you like we've never lived for you before. Lord, I pray that you would lead, guide, and direct our thoughts as we study. Lead, guide, and direct our words as we preach and teach. Help them not to be of our own thoughts or opinions, but just to be faithful to preach your word. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Jesus' triumphal entry is one that's widely known among Christianity. Lazarus, again, has been declared a nuisance because of his powerful testimony, because of the powerful testimony of his life. Simply by being alive, he was a nuisance to the religious leaders. Jesus is now ready to observe the final Passover with his disciples. Word has gotten out that this wonderful miracle of the victory over death and knowledge of Jesus' power. And so people start gathering together. This triumphal entry, again, is one that is widely known among Christianity. But often some impactful aspects are overlooked because of its familiarity. 
And one thing that I've tried to establish here as long as I've been pastor and will continue to try to establish is that we familiarize ourselves with Scripture in such a way that we know what's happening, but we unfamiliarize ourselves in such a way that something loses its value and becomes a flyover passage. We need to see exactly what the Lord has for us here because all of the Word is profitable for us. Amen. And so let's take a look now. Three things this morning I want us to see that I believe would be impactful for us to remember and to recognize about this triumphal entry. Number one, this was a prophetic entry. A prophetic entry. Look at chapter 12, verse 12. We're going to read these first few verses again. On the next day... Much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy King cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Many prophecies concerning the Messiah have already been fulfilled up to this point in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Again, approaching the final 24 hours. We're approaching the final 24 hours of Jesus' life as all men here on earth before His crucifixion. And many of the prophecies about the coming Messiah have already been accomplished. And now we're about to see just a few more. The first one that we see is the declaration of the king. The declaration of the king. Hosanna, we see here in this passage in John chapter 12 and verse 13 as they cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is defined as a, or described as an exclamation of praise to God or an invocation of blessings. In Hebrew ceremonies, it was a prayer that was rehearsed on the several days of the Feast of Tabernacles. That feast should sound familiar to some of us as we studied out these feasts. This would often be repeated. It literally means save or beseech. That's what Hosanna means. Save or beseech. The people were singing their Hosanna, literally saying, Salvation! is come. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is significant because the Hebrews believed the king was entering the city to set himself up as the proper heir to the throne of King David. The Jewish feasts were of great significance and as this Hosanna would tie any Jewish reader and any studier of the Hebrew, uh, or, uh, the Hebrew culture would recognize that this study or this word would have been part of the song of celebration at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Some Bible students believe that this Feast of the Tabernacles was the holiest and greatest Jewish feast that there was. Every 50th year, this feast followed the great jubilee and the, pro and the proclamation declared liberty to all. Remember, 50 years would pass and then the Passover and Pentecost would occur and these feasts. And what would happen after the 50th year? That would be considered the year of jubilee where everything was restored and all debts were forgiven. 
Boy, wouldn't that be something if we adopted that? Amen. You turn 50, all your debts are forgiven. They're gone. Whatever you have is just yours. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Boy, I, I believe we ought to... Could we petition that somehow to Congress or something? I don't know how we'd start that. That'd be a good thing. Amen. But that's what the Jewish tradition was. But it was more than just their debts. You see, back then, it was a little different. When they owed someone money, they would become a debtor servant to them. And you owed the money, you couldn't repay it, you came and you worked for them. And you worked it off. And then in that 50th year of Jubilee, you were no longer considered their servant. You were no longer considered their worker. You were free. And so this Feast of the Tabernacles that would occur after the year of Jubilee, that would occur after this great and wonderful time in the land of Israel, would be a triumphal time of liberty for all. The breakdown of the feast types are important as each feast represents a type when it comes to Jesus and His coming. If you're taking notes, these aren't on the screen for you, but if you like these, here are the breakdown of the feasts. You have three main feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Jesus is entering into the city at the Feast of Passover. This Feast of Passover, if you study it out, is a type of the crucifixion of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. The Passover that would serve as a reminder to the people of Israel of the freedom that they were given because of the blood that was placed upon the lentils and the doorposts. That blood that was unscathed. That blood from that pure sacrifice. And then the death angel would pass by that house and the firstborn would be kept alive. That's what the feast of the Passover would memorialize. That's what it remembered. And this feast was a type of the crucifixion of Christ. The second feast, the feast of Pentecost, would be the type of the coming of the Holy Spirit. As we study out throughout the book of John's gospel, as we start to bring it to a close, we'll transition into the book of Acts. And we'll see that they were there at Pentecost... They were there at Pentecost and they were waiting. They were waiting for something very specific. That coming of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about here a little more, in a little, uh, more deeply in just a moment. But you have the Feast of the Passover as the type of the crucifixion. You have the Feast of Pentecost, which was the type of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then you have this Feast of the Tabernacles. This feast where they would sing out, Salvation has come to Israel in Psalm 118, 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Sound familiar? Sounds just like John 12 and verse 13. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. This feast of the tabernacles was a type or is a type of the second coming. It's a type of the second coming. Now notice, I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about the second coming. There's a difference between what is known as the rapture and what's known as the second coming. In the rapture, 1 Thessalonians teaches us that we meet Him in the clouds. He doesn't come to earth. His saints are taken away. Those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In the second coming, Jesus physically comes to earth. 
This is called the second advent or the second coming. And when he comes to earth, that will be at this battle of Armageddon in the valley of Megiddo as he stands upon Mount Zion and the mountain splits and he destroys the armies of the earth and establishes himself as king forever. King of Israel, yes, but king of all eternity. Amen. That's who Jesus is. The Feast of the Tabernacles was a type or is a type of the second coming. This, where Jesus was entering, that we just read, this account, was not the Feast of the Tabernacles. They was, he was entering in for the Feast of the Passover. They would still be singing, though, as if they were expecting their king. Remember, look back at verse number 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him. In other gospel accounts, we see that the people even took off their coats and laid it down as the young donkey would ride in with the Savior on his back. And they would cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord, singing Psalm 118, 25, and 26, which they would sing every year at the Feast of the Tabernacles. This Hosanna they were singing was in hopes for a kingdom of Israel to be established. We see the song the people would be, would, would be sung during this feast, but the Jews were ready for a king to rule over them. But they did not receive the king that they wanted. They were looking for a political head. They were looking for salvation from a man. Little did they know that they had the God of all eternity riding in that they were singing to. And they were not prepared to accept Him as their King. So we see this declaration of the King. Bullet point two or letter B, we see the humility of the King. The humility of the King. Look at verse 14. Jesus, when He had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Zechariah. Turn to Zechariah chapter 9 with me, if you will. Zechariah chapter 9. Anytime you see the phrase, as it is written, it's always good to find out where it's written. Amen. What Old Testament passage is being referenced and why? Isaiah chapter 9. Or Zechariah, my apologies. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a coal, upon a colt to the foal of an ass. This is significant that they are crying out this Hosanna, that they are quoting this Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, as they are believing their calling in the king that would come and rule and reign and become the king of the Jews. Now, 
Is that a true statement? Was Jesus or is Jesus the rightful heir to the throne of David? Yes. Is he going to be the king of the Jews? Yes. But this was not that time. Zechariah chapter 9 is very telling because it tells us of a just king, but it also tells us of a humble king. Notice as we read the rejoicing of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem, and it says, Behold thy king, that's a capital K. We know that that capital K is significance because that's not talking about just any king. It's talking about the king. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 9. Thy king cometh unto thee. And then we see two descriptors of this king. First of all, he is just and having salvation. He is just and having salvation. You see, we serve a just God. We serve a God who is just in righteousness, He is just in judgment, and He is just in His ways. And He will bring salvation. But notice, He's also lowly. Jesus Christ had humbled Himself, put on flesh, and became man. We see Jesus rising on a donkey which directly ties us to Zechariah 9 and 9 Jesus would humble himself as he entered into the city lowly salvation came to mankind you say why is that significant why is that important because as we talked to our teens this morning and Sunday school we pointed out the fact that we do not live in a society that recognizes or even gives honor to humility. Someone that is humble is thought of two things. Either A, they're weak and made fun of, or B, it's a false humility. We don't like humble people. I believe we don't like humble people because oftentimes we're convicted because we're so filled with self-righteousness. Amen. The Bible says that if we will humble ourselves... He will lift us up. I like the thought of Christ lifting me up over me lifting myself up. Amen. Jesus Christ, as an example, humbled Himself. God did not have to send His only begotten Son to save mankind. He could have allowed mankind to stay, to stay in its sinful state. But He humbled Himself and came to this earth, allowed His creation to mock Him, allowed His creation to tempt Him, allowed His creation to crucify Him. He was the ultimate example of humility. So we see this triumphal entry was a prophetic entry. This prophetic entry of the declaration of a king and then this prophetic entry of the humility of that king. And next we see, number two, a perplexing entry. A perplexing entry. Look at verse 16. These things understood not His disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of Him and that they had done these things unto Him. Scripture shows the disciples did not understand the fanfare that was taking place. 
Remember, they did not believe that Jesus was going to die. His own disciples didn't believe it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We've got time. I want us to look at something. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, look at verse 30. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now what has just occurred here? This is the account of Jesus observing the Passover meal with his disciples in Matthew 26. You see it start around verse 14 down to about verse 30 where we just read. We see the Passover was observed. Verse 30, after the Passover, they had sung in Him. This is the verse that we use as we observe the Lord's table together and we partake of the elements of the bread and of the... Uh, of the juice, and we remember Christ's death until He comes, according to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11, tells us how we are to observe the Lord's table together. After they had the Passover, after Jesus was teaching them something that was in and of itself at that time very Jewish, but that they would commemorate in the final days of His death, of His life, that we would commemorate remembering the death of the Savior, they went out after having sung in Him. Verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Jesus Christ has already foretold His own death even prior to this passage. But here he reminds his disciples that this night they would be scattered abroad because the shepherd, the shepherd will have been smitten or smote. Amen. I apologize. I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But then he gives them the assurance of the resurrection. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Now look at verse 33. We see the arrogant statement of Peter. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. You see, the disciples were perplexed because they had no idea what was occurring. They did not know that Jesus was coming to His death. Although they knew it, they did not believe it. Even after the Passover, even after they sung a hymn, they were headed to the garden where Jesus would pray, where Judas would kiss Him on the cheek and would betray Him, and then the trial would begin. They still did not believe that Jesus would die. 
And not only that, they did not believe that he would die and rise again. That he would not be crucified. Notice, they would not. Peter said, Verily I say unto thee that this not, or because, rather, though all men, verse 33, shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now, oftentimes we'll read this account and we think, Wow, what an arrogant statement. What's the first thing that we learn? It's the first time we ever say never to our mom or dad. Never say never. Amen. Never say never. Because you never know what's going to happen. I'll never do this. I'll never. How about this one? I love it. I remember, I think it's, I'm not going to mention names because y'all would know who they are because they're family, but I remember... One young girl, as she was growing up, and she had met this boy and said, I'll never marry him. Lo and behold, well, you know the rest of the story. Amen. I'll never end up with him. Peter said, I'll never deny you. How often throughout our life have we told Christ, Lord, though I'm persecuted, though whatever comes my way, though any of this world and darkness comes upon me, Lord, I will serve you to the end and I'll never turn my back on you just a few short weeks, months, or years later to find that we have done exactly what Peter did. Jesus foretold of Peter's denial. He said before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me three times. Notice what Peter said to that. Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And then what happened? All the disciples followed suit. Likewise also said all the disciples. Lord, I'll die with you before I'll deny you. How many times in our own life, in our own circumstances, with our own family, have we stood around knowing that we have loved ones that are dying and on their way to an eternity without Christ, knowing that they're not living right, and yet we've said many times, Lord, I would die for you before I would deny you, and yet our silence is just that, a denial. Our silence is just that, a denial. As we stand back and we say, Oh, Lord, I'll live for you. I'll die for you. And then the mocking comes and people start using God's name in vain and we just stand silently. I'll tell you what I like to do. People at work and gets a good chuckle every once in a while, but it establishes something. When someone uses Jesus' name in vain and they'll say Jesus Christ derogatorily, I often reply, He's a wonderful Savior. Or I'll say something like, he's my best friend. And it causes them to say, why? Because they have no idea. They, they don't realize that what they're doing is taking the name of God in vain. And so that causes them to stop and think about what they just said. Because for them, it's just like saying hello. They have no idea what they've done. And then it causes them to stop. And you know what happens almost 99.9% .9 of the time? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Or if they say the oh my God in derogatory remarks, not in a prayer of need, amen, I'll say He's the greatest God. He's the only God. People start to watch what they say around you when you start saying things like that, amen. They do. But how often have we heard that said or we have listened to someone curse God and we have stood by in silence. We have stood by in silence. Our silence is a denial. God, I'll never deny you. I love you. You're my Savior. And then when pressure comes, we're silent. 
You see, back to John chapter 12, this perplexing entry was perplexing to them. In verse number 16, these things understood not His disciples at the first. There was a reason it was perplexing. There was a reason why they didn't understand. And He goes on to describe it for us in verse 16. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of Him. Scripture shows the disciples didn't understand the fanfare. We also affirmed that they would be brought to understand when Jesus was glorified. But when did this glorification occur? A lot of times we look to the Mount of Transfiguration. But only three of His disciples saw Him in His glory. Peter, James, and John. They were the only ones that were there. Was Christ glorified before the whole world? No. This isn't when understanding came. Turn with me to John chapter 7. Very quickly. John chapter 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the what? Spirit. spirit. Now is that spirit lowercase or capital S? That's capital S. So we know that that's talking about the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Verse 39, the Holy Ghost was not yet given because... Why? Jesus was not glorified. Amen. So understanding is going to come after the glorification of Jesus Christ. We know and constant study and deeper scripture would uh, cross-referencing and study would cause us to recognize that it is the Holy Spirit that gives the believer understanding. Now, go to John chapter 17. So this time in John 7, when Jesus spoke of the living water, they didn't know, they didn't know when he was referring to, but he was talking about when the Holy Spirit would be given. Amen. The Holy Spirit would be given when? After his glorification. So this teaches that the Spirit would come after his glorification. You're in John 17, look at verse number 1. Amen. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. What are those next three words? Glorify thy, son. glorify thy Son. That thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Where are we in John 17? This is Jesus' prayer. This is Jesus' prayer before his betrayal, before he is crucified, before he is buried, before he is risen on the third day. And what does he say? The hour is come. The hour of what? The hour of His death was upon Him. 
It was there. These verses teach us that the glorification of Christ would come after His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that's the reason why in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, we see this transition as Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit would come and would fill the believer. And now because Jesus Christ is glorified, He has died, He was buried, and on the third day He is risen again. Verse 16 of John chapter 12. Then remembered they that these things were written of Him, and that they had done these things unto Him. When? After He was glorified. After He was glorified, the Holy Spirit was given. Understanding would come. At this time of prophetic entry, the disciples were perplexed because they had not the Holy Spirit of God within them. But after His ascension and He sent down the Holy Spirit, you say, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? I want to understand these words. Notice what the Holy Spirit guides. Verse 16, there's so much to unpack here. What does God's Holy Spirit help us with? These things written of Him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So I try to read my Bible, I don't understand it. Do you have the Holy Spirit within you? If you don't, you can't. If you don't understand, if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you can't understand this book. That's why the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, How can I? When Philip said, Understandest thou what thou readest? What did the Ethiopian eunuch say? How can I except some man show me? Why? Because the Ethiopian eunuch needed someone that had the Holy Spirit to show him what Isaiah 53 was talking about. And then Philip was able to take the Ethiopian eunuch and point him to Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection, what happened? He was able to accept Christ as a Savior. He was able to put his faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, not his works. What was the whole issue? Remember what question he asked? What doth hinder me to be baptized? He needed to be saved before he got baptized. It's important. You say, how do you get out of that? Scripture. Because at salvation you receive all the Holy Spirit that you need. You don't have to pray down any extra indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when you get saved, you've been given the earnest of the Spirit. You have Him forever. And He will lead and guide you. Pastor, I've read this Bible cover to cover. I can't understand it. My first question to you is, do you have the Spirit of God within you? Because if you do, He will guide you. He will give you understanding. But if you don't, how can you accept some man show you the way? They were perplexed at this entry. Number three, and finally, very quickly, we're almost done. A perceived entry. A perceived perceived entry. What What do you mean a perceived entry? Jump down to verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing, but the world has gone after him. Coming to a close this morning, we notice the perception of the religious elite. They were concerned that they were losing their power over the people and thus their political security. 
two things caused the people to flock to Jesus. The first thing, they witnessed His miracles. People literally saw what He accomplished. Notice back in verse number 17, the people therefore that was with Him when, they, when He called Lazarus out of His grave and raised Him from the dead, bear record. They saw it. They were with Him. They saw what Jesus did. So I've never seen Jesus perform a miracle. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you've been passed from death into life. And oh, what a miracle that is. Oh, what a day. The day that Jesus entered in. Oh, blessed Hosanna, the King is upon the throne of your heart and you have passed from death into life. What a wonderful day. You bear record of that day. You saw Christ. You say, I didn't see Him physically come into my life. No, but you saw what He did. You saw who you were and you recognized your need of Him. Oh, blessed Hosanna, what a wonderful day of salvation. You bear record of that salvation. Notice... They witnessed His miracles. They saw what He accomplished. And then number two, or bullet point two, they were witnesses of His miracles. They were witnesses of His miracles. Not only did people see what Jesus did, but people heard what He had accomplished and heard that He had done this miracle. Notice verse 18. This cause the people also met Him. What cause? Lazarus had gotten out of the grave. He had raised from the dead. And people saw it and they bore a record. There were witnesses that were there. They saw what Jesus did. And for this cause the people also met Him for that they heard that He had done this miracle. Back to verse 12. On the next day much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. What did they do? They prepared for the king. Now they, they were preparing for the king to sit on the throne of David. Little did they know that Jesus would enter into the city a free man for the last time. A free man. Because as he would leave, he would leave as a sacrifice. And when he comes back, he will come back as king. We recognize the application and the importance here. We see that people saw what Jesus did. But there were also those that heard what Jesus did. They heard of the miracles. Earlier we talked in verse 13. They desired a king. We see a desired king. Verse 17 and 18. We see a desired Savior. A desired Savior. That would help someone pass from death... Unto life. Remember John chapter 11. Jesus Christ came to the grave of Lazarus. He was dead. Corruption had set in. Surely, Lord, he stinketh. And what did he say? Lazarus, come forth. Do you remember that day in your life? Do you remember that day in your life when Jesus Christ you dead in trespasses and sin. The seal was upon your tomb and you were entrenched in garments that would bind you with sin and decay for all of eternity. And all of a sudden you heard, Come forth! And you beckoned the call. You heard the words of a wonderful Savior who would call you from sin and destruction. 
That's the Savior this world needs. That's the Savior this county needs. It's the Savior this civilization needs. It's the Savior our society needs. But they have no idea what they need because they need someone to witness to them. Someone who has witnessed what He's done to share with them what He's accomplished. There's a lack of understanding of the things of Christ in today's society. Desired king, a desired savior. Verse 19, we see a desired testimony. The last few words of the verse, Behold, the world has gone after him. Behold, the world has gone after him. When Jesus is allowed to work, as he was for three and a half years on his ministry here on earth. And the people saw what he accomplished and heard the miracles that he performed, recognized who he was. You know what happened? The religious elite, those that had power, they got nervous. Why? Because when Jesus is allowed to work unencumbered by us, when He's allowed to accomplish His will, it's as if the world will go for it. It's as if the whole world will go after Him. Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. He scared the Pharisees. They were fearful and angry. This lack of understanding of the things of Christ in today's society is not due to an absence of the Holy Spirit. It's due to an ignoring of the work of God. We ignore God's work. We ignore His will. We ignore His witness. Will we witness God do great things? Will we see it? Will we be witnesses about the great things that He's already accomplished so that others may come? Every head bowed, every eye closed.